The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabres podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I'm here with my co-host. He's the acolyte of our hearts. It's... That's got to be DeVore, right? No, that was actually you this time. Oh, something sweet like that. I appreciate it. You know, I try. Is accolade a good thing? We don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Take hey. it as a good thing, and uh, we'll we'll go from there until further evidence is, is submitted. Yes, until until the dark side emerges once again. And of oh. course, this wouldn't be clashing sabers without our orange lightsaber wielding man who rides in the heart of an IG droid. It's hello. It's Devor. Hey, Devor. I had hey, like Drew. this picture of like Devor just sitting in the heart of an ID droid just like pressing the yes and no buttons yes he's, yes he's no. not that short no I've he's met not him face to face I know he's not that short I'm just saying like it would be funny that's all I'm saying <laughs> oh sorry my bad I killed God. the fun again Learn some humor, man. Learn some humor. Uh, I'm sorry. Tonight, guys, we are going to have a lot of fun. Later on, we're going to have our first ever character draft where we're going to build a team of Star Wars characters to go on a heist. And it is going to get wild. But (laughs) before that... I just remembered all the people on my list. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's definitely interesting. That's what I'll say there. Uh, but before we do that, there is a lot of Star Warsing we need to catch up on because it's been a minute uh, since the three of us have been together. So we're, of course, going to get to Mando in a minute, but I want to talk to you guys about uh, Celebration. Uh, I don't yes. want to talk as much because you can hear my thoughts over on the Sith Talk Celebration special. So, gentlemen, Devorah, I'm going to throw it to you first. Coming out of Celebration, with all the news and everything that we got, is there something you weren't really hyped for that you now are or something that you were just generally more excited for than you were before uh, the event took place? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if that there's anything I was hyped for that got, you know, that my enthusiasm got dampened for, at least not coming up off the top of my head. I mean, I know for the reverse, a thing at least that, I mean, maybe you won't say like, I I was already like looking forward to it, but now looking forward to it even more. I mean, of course, there's Ahsoka, but then also especially Visions. I think getting to see that trailer, like that was really exciting because, of course, we had known, you know, well ahead of time back from actually last year's celebration that they were going to be expanding beyond anime and there's going to be all these other studios. But then actually getting to get that little bit of the appetizer of what all these different studios are going to be doing and all the styles and stuff, that was just really, really great. So that one was definitely one for like, I, I was... Excited, looking forward to it, and then Celebration kicked it up a notch. Drew, how are you feeling about Vision Season 2? Because that's like your jam. It, it really is. I'm, I'm a little more apprehensive just because uh, of how, how much I enjoyed the first season and how much that one was just kind of drafted for me. Um, animation is one thing. Anime is another thing. And then I know that's kind of pedantic, anime being the Japanese term for animation. So it, the, there's not a lot of clear definition of to what would make an anime different from actual other animations, but it definitely, it's one of those things, you know it when you see it. So having the second season broadening its horizons a bit more is interesting, and, I'm, and I think that's good. You know, the more different voices we can add to the song makes it a better song for everyone to sing along with. So I'm okay with that. I'm, uh, I'm not terribly wild. Uh, see, I'm back and forth on the Ardman Entertainment one, 
because it's Ardman, and that's the the studio who brought us gems such as the Wallace and Gromit series and and Chicken Run. If anyone remembers that one from like I don't know nineteen ninety eight, a classic, like a classic. Yep. So it's you know claymation, which is fine, but they're bringing back Dennis Lawson to do the voice of Wedge Antilles. So I'm torn between not caring <laughs> for the animation and it's my hero of the rebellion and of my heart. So I don't know. How it's going to shake out. I'm a little bit nervous about that one. But I think it's coming out in September? No, two weeks from now. No. May 4th. Shut your mouth. Really? May 4th. Oh, no. I've been, I've been uh, letting time slip away. By the, yeah, yeah. By the time we record again, it will have already been. Is, uh, do we know, have we confirmed that they're going to release the entirety of the thing? I would think so. Yeah, I think that okay. they tend to stick with that format of whatever they do the first season, they kind of keep with. You know, most of these streaming services oh, do okay. that. Oh, okay. So, well, because um, now we, yeah, I suppose so, because there's not like a story that, well, we don't really know, but for at least season one of Visions, there wasn't a cohesive story from episode or entry to entry, rather, as opposed to like the live action shows, which have been much more uh, sequential and, you know, week by week releases. Yeah, telling a much larger story. I think the thing I'm most excited about is actually the different, like, types of animation. Uh, because, you know, I talked about this when we, we talked about it, but I'm not a huge anime person. I just have never really gotten into it. And so I had there's a little bit of a disconnect in season one for me with, with just not being as familiar with anime and the style of storytelling that took mm. me out of, of some moments. And so I think getting a more diverse expanse of animation is going to be more in my wheelhouse where season one was more, you know, for you, Drew. So yeah, I'm kind of excited definitely. to see. And I feel like Visions is a place where they can try things and fail and it's okay. Like, and and <laughs> like, I, I, I think that's a good thing though. Like, I think they have to expand out and take risks and try new things. And they're going to get, you know, crapped on if they do it in movies, but we can go in visions and go, okay, can we tell this kind of story and it work in Star Wars and you are bringing in a, you know, a diverse group of people to do that and to tell these stories, which I think enhances the opportunity and enhances the chances that it will work because everybody's able to bring their own interpretation into Star Wars and connect with a certain sect of the Star Wars fandom. So I like that they have this out there as a way to, you know, one, put out more content, put out more animation, but two, also to kind of test waters with, you know, what kind of stories can we expand to thematically? What kind of characters connect with people? Things like that, I think, is uh, is something really special. Yeah, and it's definitely going to be something that will ultimately depend on what is released in this time because if the, the first one I feel like got a... A pretty cohesive, yeah, this is okay, response from the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, so. So I'm wondering if yeah. this one will change that either up or down, especially since it's such a, a different team of creative minds behind things. Whereas, like, you know, Mandalorian, it's been the same guys basically working it since the very first episode. There's, like, this core team of people that kind of cycle between chairs and responsibilities, which is fine. But it's basically one unified vision for now three years. And there might be an argument to say that it's time to shuffle up the, the writing assignments, perhaps. Um, but 
that's not something you know even if you think rebels had a pretty clear vision from its its creative teams for throughout its four years i don't know to tell you about clone wars clone wars was so up and down um and it you know it got it got better as as time would go on but visions i feel like is really the first project that is shifting um direction and we don't know how it's going to be shifting direction because of the the voices that are going to be in there i think that's a good thing you know not since yeah. you know the difference between Force Awakens and Last Jedi has has two things been able to be so different yet so connected. <laughs> no joke there, <laughs> literally side by side. Drew, for you, is there anything other than visions that you are like more excited about now after Celebration? I mean, I will I will continue to be excited about the High Republic entries. Everything I hear about them seems yep. good, and every you know the, I what I like so much about it is that the plan for the next like two years is already written down. Like they know what they want to do. They've got tentative release windows up until like 2025, which is unheard of um, in this kind of, in this particular corner of the world that we all like to enjoy. So that was really encouraging. I liked um, a number of the things that they had there. I wish we could have gotten to see some of the stuff that they saw there um, and, and released and experienced. I don't know that we really got a ton of the information. I tried to follow along with some of the panels as they were live tweeted by different folk online, which always thankful for that. But it just, it definitely is different when you're, you're not even close to being in the same room. Um, I'll tell you my cynicism kicked into high gear though, when they are announcing new movies. Um, and I know it's, I know it's hard to believe, but like, I feel like we've all been we've been uh, we've all been beaten like this so many times before. You know, fool me once, shame on you. But and 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 the joke is sad, but kind of true that you know they announced three movies and we're all kind of like, all right, when are they going to cancel them? <laughs> before the end of celebration or after? Because you know none of them are actually real until there's a trailer available online. Something that like stood out to me that I talked with Zach and Lindsay about is this new eras format that they're setting up and. For some reason, that instills more confidence in me than the previously announced movies where it was kind of haphazard of, yeah, this person's making a movie and we'll see where it goes from there. I think uh, the Filoni one obviously makes a ton of sense. I I, I really have trouble seeing that not happening. Uh, And I don't I don't Mm. think you take the risk of bringing Daisy Ridley back on stage uh, and announcing her, you know, rebuilding the Jedi Order if you don't have that one, like, pretty much locked down. Um, I don't think this is a Lando situation where you announce the show and it's like, maybe we should get the actor to, to be a part <laughs> God, of it. that was so weird. It's so, really, I mean, I, conventional wisdom would tend to agree with you. Like, it would be absurd. But then again, they had an entire, like, production video developed for Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron movie. Like this whole like you know she's telling this story about her dad used to fly fighter jets and she's like rollerblading in a parking lot and it was this whole thing and it was like but nothing came of it because of all the different issues that came after that it's like I'd like to believe that having you know Daisy Ridley show up on stage and say yes I'm doing this is enough to satisfy our fears and doubts but it's just not <laughs> no it's not but i it makes me feel a, a tad bit better like i felt like they had 
a more concise, constructed plan together than we've seen since. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to make seven, eight, and nine. And and the only reason that that was a clear and concise vision was because seven, eight, and nine are three numbers that go in order. Yeah. Like that's it. Yeah. That's as far um, as they were able to get down on paper. Yeah, and so. I really like this new idea of these different eras where we can have, you know, the dawn of the Jedi and we can have the new Jedi order. We can have the, you know, Imperial remnants, the post empire era, and we can Mm -hmm. have all these different stories being told at the same time uh, in these different eras that will all, you know, connect because it's star Wars, but are in these very distinct time periods where we have the context that we need and everything. And I, I just feel like in an iterative story like Star Wars, where we're jumping around timelines and everything like that, it makes sense to do that. And it's going to, I think, having this idea of, uh, you know, the new Jedi Order, the Dawn of the Jedi, these things that you can use as titles and then give consecutive movies subtitles if there are consecutive movies is a really good way to establish for people when these stories are happening who the main characters are going to be, so on and so forth, that, you know, Rogue One didn't do very well. Like, you didn't... People were not sure, you know, the casual fan was not sure when Rogue One took place, really, until they started sitting down. Yeah. And Solo was too blatantly obvious, where it's like, okay, don't speak down to us by just calling a Han Solo movie Solo. Like, give us something (laughs) to connect (laughs) with here. So... What what do you think... Because I was looking at... That timeline really stood out to me as something that was interesting. Like, I'm glad they have that. And they've tried to do that before. Like, they've had... You know, they've had the timeline for the movies and and shows where they kind of show you chronologically where these different things take place. They showed that at Celebration, not last time, but the time before, I think. Um, What do you think has happened in between that they finally have decided this is the framework by which we're going to allow people to tell the stories like here are the different sandboxes you can play in because when you look at those names none of them are new this year like dawn of the jedi has been a template around for a number of years isn't that also the name of a book like isn't that the kane when kanan met hera book no that's a new dawn dawn of the jedi is uh an old legends book that's the, the, that's the one where they first try and, you know, their lightsaber. They didn't have lightsabers. They were just swords at that point. They were swords. They were electric swords that were plugged in. Yeah, they yeah, had yeah. They a power okay. pack, like the original Vision. <laughs> I Lucas. do remember that. Okay. It's yeah. Like, it was yeah. A, Devorah was like a 12-part series of things. I feel like it was <laughs> um, either shorts that were released maybe online or maybe in Star Wars Insider or something No, like no, no. That. There was a full-on novel. Was there? Is it Into the Void? Is that what it was called? Yeah, yes, that's what it is. Okay. Dawn of the Jedi into the Void, yes. It's like the farthest back you can go, I think. Right, because the Old Republic is 5,000 years BBY, and Dawn of the Jedi was supposed to be 25,000, I think. Yeah. Is, okay. So, it's just kind of like, I, we've been there. <laughs> like, but I think... It's fine. I think it's going to be great when they, when they start introducing new stories for those t- timelines, but it's like, it really stood out to me. It's like, okay, they've, they're very happy that they've got this concrete understanding of the window of time by which we can place our stories into. The, you know, these seven, eight, whatever it is, different options you can fit into. But none of them are new. <laughs> like, the newest one is the High Republic, but we've been playing in that playground for two years now, which is great. Again, it's not that these are bad things. It's like, what changed in the past two years that made them settle on these particular eras as the one that they're going to let people loose in? That's the question I would, I'd like, you know, a, a something. 
I think there's a multitude of things that are factors in it. Uh, I think the success of the Mandoverse is one and being able to have these connected stories in, uh, you know, that are their own clearly defined bubbles, but also connect together, you know, is a, an idea that crosses over to the timeline. I think, uh, the continued failures of being able to bring a movie even to production, let alone mm -hmm. like release. And I honestly think the return of Bob Iger is a big factor. Uh, I, that's a good point. Yeah, like I think Chappick was not really very interested in the studio aspect of things. He was a parks guy. And so it was all just whatever with the movies, just get something made, make us some money. I don't really care. Uh, mm. it wasn't a very healthy environment. And Iger has made it very clear that he wants these, you know, major tentpole films telling stories uh, and that the stories need to come first. And I think in order for that to happen, you have to have some structure. So I think if anybody can walk into, uh, you know, a Kathleen Kennedy and kind of give her the business, it's somebody like Bob Iger, who has a history, you know, of success. And I I honestly, you know, this is just me theorizing. I have no evidence, no reports or anything like that. But I honestly think they had a very tough come to Jesus type conversation where it's like <laughs> you either need to get this figured out or you need to get out. Hmm. And, uh, you know, because like you're saying, something had to change for this to become such a concrete idea. Uh, yeah. And those and, are and the big factors. And we won't know how concrete it really is except for the passing of time. Right, like right. If the next three or four years go by, and we never hear a, look, any kind of information coming in about you know the the rise of the first order era, then it's not going to feel like it's got very much support behind it anyway. Yeah, a hundand percent. Devor, I have a question I think, for you. I was yeah. going to ask you a question, but you, you can jump in first. No, I was just going to go uh, just to bring up a point towards the question that you were asking about. You know, what's changed in the last two years that they, that they've decided to do this. I mean, one of the things, if you think about that, that two-year number that you just did is coincidentally as long as the High Republic has been going. So you've had this initiative mm. where they basically go and say, we're going to crack open this whole time period, a brand new time period, and we're going to slap this label on it. So I do wonder to what extent that the reception of that has made them a little more comfortable with the idea of opening up in this way. And I think also... I mean, one thing that I was thinking about, I had not thought about it until we just started on this conversation about the timelines, is that, you know, now particularly that they have moved, now that we are kind of out of the Skywalker saga with the wrap-up of Nine, and we, there are presumably no plans, at least until a rather distant future, if ever, to revisit the Skywalker saga in any capacity, <laughs> like in the kind of film capacity, like in that way, in the numbered ways, like you now almost have to kind of decenter the trilogy of trilogies as the kind of chronological structure for how people think about Star Wars. Because now you're telling all of these stories, some of them potentially beyond the Skywalker saga, like with this new Jedi Order film, but also some that are 
many, many eons potentially prior to the Skywalker saga. So now you need a kind of new framing. Now we can't do we can't do the thing now where it's like, oh, this is between the prequels and the original trilogy, or this is between the originals and the sequels. I mean, you can still kind of do it. You can do it with, like you say the Mandalorian is between the original and the sequel and the sequel trilogy. A lot of people do that. But as you start populating these mo these other periods, and as again, as I mentioned, right, you, you sort of decenter the Skywalker saga from the being the kind of beating heart there to being the, just like these sets of points in this larger continuum. I do think you kind of need that structure to what Brandon was saying, that people can kind of more easily pinpoint how these things are ordered. Hmm. The High Republic's a really good point. Like, it really has been a game changer, I think. Like, we've seen an increased quality of the books, uh, even outside of the High Republic. Um, that's a really good point. Devorah, I wanted to ask you a question now. Yes. Of the three films that were, I don't know, we're going to say announced, just because I don't have another word that means announced, but not, you know, theoretical films. How about that? You have to put one of them on Disney Plus, and they do not get a theatrical release. The other two can be in theaters, but you got to put one on TV only. Which one are you going to put there? Uh, Filoni's. That's the right answer. Okay, good deal. <laughs> so you just, you're not going to ask me that question? I know what you're going to... Devor had me a whole lot to say in the last couple of minutes. I want him to feel included. <laughs> Jeez. God, uh, this is... This leave is some meat on the Kindergarten, the elementary, middle, high school, and undergrad all over again. <laughs> <laughs> so every day you're awake. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Okay, well, then I will throw want it to, to Devor. Included. Good grief. Let's jump topics because uh, we just finished the Mandalorian. So we are going to delve into that more in our best in butts uh, look at it in a few weeks. But just kind of to get y'all's impressions, we're going to go full spoilers from here till till the break. Uh, Devor, what are you thinking? What are you feeling about how uh, season three was all brought together and, and the season finale? <sighs> I mean, as you know, at least someone from our own chat, I have had very conflicted feelings about season three. And a lot of that conflict comes from the sort of dissonant experience of where I've been from the week to week with each episode, basically pretty much enjoying it. All the episodes have been some permutation of good. But then feeling, then being left with a feeling, and this was unchanged by the season finale, if in some ways reinforced by the season finale, of looking back and feeling like as a whole, the whole of season three adds up to something less than the sum of its parts. And yeah, as I said, the, the season finale didn't change that for me in a lot of ways, because in the sense that like you did get, as many people pointed out, resolution to a lot of the plot lines both that were part of season three but even ones going back to season one but i think the resolutions of those vary in quality to a significant degree i think some of them are wrapped up decently well. i mean there, there are resolutions and there are things going back you know 15 years if we you know throw in the clone wars i think some of them are done decently well i think there are other ones that are not done quite as well that are rather rushed. I, I think more generally, like to even step beyond just season three to maybe even step beyond the Mandalorian itself. 
I think I am having increasing worries about the Mandoverse, quote unquote, as a kind of narrative project. Hmm. Because I, I I watch, you know, The Mandalorian, I watch the book of Boba Fett, I look ahead to something like Ahsoka, and I understand just at the basic level what it is they want to achieve. They are, I mean, the you know, the analogy to the MCU is kind of well-worn, but it works. Like, they want to do, particularly, like, you know, with something like they did with the Din episodes and Book of Boba Fett, or even, you know, weaving in Bo-Katan into the season of The Mandalorian. Like, they want to do the sort of the Captain America Civil War thing, where it's like, this is the third Captain America movie, but it's also Iron Man 3.5, and it's Avengers 2.5. They want to do that thing, the almost kind of Russian nesting doll. Like, here's all, like here's the main story, and then here's the sub story and then here's another sub story and we're all kind of advancing these simultaneously i do not know that they are particularly good at it hmm. i think both watching the book of boba fett and now watching season three of mandalorian has now just left me weary about whether they can really appropriately juggle all of these balls like i feel like we, we've gotten it's like, particularly you watch season three, you're like, you get all things. Like, you get the New Republic stuff. You get the the kind of small-scale Din Grogu journey. You get the kind of bigger Mandalorians. But everything feels like we're getting, like, 40 to 60% of the story, you know? Like, mm. we're, we're getting, like, parts of it. But we're not getting the whole fleshed-out thing that you really need to. You're not – we're getting these – storylines we're getting these themes and ideas that they're playing around with like particularly a lot of the stuff with like around the covert and the mandalorians and like here's all these different mandos with these different beliefs and here they're trying to kind of live live together and kind of negotiate their beliefs but like we're, we're not getting it done with the depth that if you're going to engage with these themes and ideas you got to engage with them we're getting just the kind of again the 40 to 60 percent version of it all so yeah, it's left me worried about can they really pull off this very sort of ambitious shared universe thing that they're trying to do? There are moments when I see that, um, especially, you know, a lot of the writing, not a lot of the writing decisions, but some of the writing decisions really make me uh, a little bit wary. Like the Darksaber kind of just gets tossed around this <sighs> season God, the dark saber don't, don't get me serious and it's like it's <laughs> the, the, frustrating you, you know what i was hinting before like some of the things are not done well at all <laughs> let's start start talking about the dark saber in season three yeah like Goodness. it's it it gets taken you know or uh taken from din and given to Bo through like a, a technicality not a big fan of that and then so she basically gets it by somebody handing it off to her, and the other Mandalorians are like, yeah, okay, we'll do this. Like, it didn't happen already in Rebels, and that's when things went wrong. Like, there are moments like that. There's even, you know, going to the Book of Boba Fett, there's that moment where uh, Boba's like, I don't know if this life is is for us. And it's like, what was the whole season for then? Why are we, why are we here? Why are we talking? Um, Come on. <laughs> it's... It's little moments like that where I go, I know it's just a throwaway line. I understand that. But why was it there anyway? Like, it's you have to know it's going to add questions that you're not going to provide answers to in a negative fashion. It's the same thing as 
I think it was a poor choice to to name the penultimate episode The Spies because we got all this week-long chatter. <laughs> Come on. Which, it's it's the fault of the fans. Don't get me wrong. It is our fault, and I, I was a part of that, too. It felt like, okay, they're leading us somewhere where we're going to get, you know, a betrayal, and we didn't get it, and it was it was satisfying. I didn't want the armorer to be the bad guy. I didn't want, you know, any of the Mandalorians to turn, but... It just feels like you didn't think ahead about what the reaction was going to be to the way that you told the story in that aspect. And the decisions that you made were hasty in ways that they didn't have to be. No, I I disagree. I think the problem is not that they didn't think about the naming convention for these things. This is specific to your episode seven gripe here. It's that people are looking for things that are just simply not there. You get, people are spending way too much time and effort reading meaning into things that are not nearly as complicated. I mean, the other episode titles for this season are as follows. Chapter one or chapter 17 was The Apostate. You know what that episode was about? Din. <laughs> the next An one apostate. Was the, the, the next episode was The Minds of Mandalore. You know what that one was about? Going to Mandalore. The next one was The Convert. Do you remember that one? It's when Bo-Katan gets adopted into the family. Then there's the foundling, where they go after the kid who's taken by the the bird dinosaur thing. Then chapter 21 was the pirate. feel like that one was pretty clear what that one was about. Then guns for hire, where they went and met Jack Black and Lizzo, for some reason. <laughs> then the spies. Guys... These this writing is not, you know, graduate level writing. It's not intending to be. It's it's exactly what it's talking about. You know when it tells us it's the spies, the name of the episode, right after you have this whole conversation with a group of the Shadow Council who is getting a report from their spy on Coruscant. It's not that hard. And if people are going <laughs> to invest their time and energy in this, you guys deserve to get the rug pulled out from underneath you. You get all the bad feelings you've completely earned. Chapter The last episode is called The Return. You know why? Because <laughs> the Mandalorians returned to Mandalore and took it over. It's not that complicated. This stuff is not intended to, for, you know, doctoral level thesis drafting. It's for my kids. <laughs> who loved it, by the way. Who thought it was the, the most fun year yet. So oh, don't get me wrong. I people, I loved we, the we whole just season. Just gotta chill out a little bit. I mean, even like, like the themes are very simple and they're very basic, and that's the idea. Like the whole season three here is about family, because Bo-Katan finds hers and she wants to go find a new home for him. The armorer is looking for a home for her group. Din literally adopts Grogu and has a house built for him. Like it's all about home. It's all about family. It's all about location. So it's like if we're trying to read more than that into it, I cannot raise and wave my red flags high and wide enough. No, I I hear what you're saying. I just think it's not even that I spend a lot of time thinking about these things. It's mm-hmm. more it's more they're just things that make me go, hmm. You know, like it feels like okay, we there are certain moments where it feels like, okay, we didn't really know what to do, so we're just going to do this. Like, with the, the Darksaber. Like, we, we need to get it to Bo-Katan, because she needs to have it to unite everybody, but we don't want Bo-Katan and Din to fight, so how are we going to make this work? And it's just like, okay, there's they a plot. They had an intermediary. Yeah, they had a, 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 yeah. 
It's or, all plot convenience. That's not a bad thing. That's how stories work. Is is mm, event triggers but, next event. Yes, but sometimes it is blatantly obvious that you're doing something for plot convenience and other times the plot convenience works narratively into the story. No, see, I disagree with that. It would be bad if an event occurred that count that, that occurred counter to reason that was previously like established. Like if they had said, there's no one living down on Mandalore, we've got the scans to prove it. And then there was something down there that would be a problem. You know, they could go f- back and fix something like that. But if, if Din had said something like, I'm going to learn how to use the Darksaber, bend it to my will, and, and take over Mandalore. And then in the next episode, he decides to give it to Bo-Katan without reason. That would be a problem. But we don't have things like that. The decisions that are made are clear and, and, and like I, I defined and explained within the contents of a show. Din doesn't care about the Darksaber. He can't use it. Every time he tries to pull it out of his pocket, he ends up hurting himself just as bad as he hurts anybody else with it. Like he nearly gets thrown off the space station that they're hiding out of because. Well, of I want to. I want to talk about that a second though, because to me, in Book of Boba Fett, that whole thing was about him beginning to take ownership of the dark saber and reestablishing its importance to the covert and the Mandalorian culture as a whole. And then in. Uh, in the spies, he talks about uh, you know the the dark saber doesn't mean anything to me or my my clan, which just it felt off. Like I, I think everything else about that conversation works. I think him committing to Bo-Katan works. I think him personally saying he doesn't care about the dark saber, he cares more about honor and loyalty and all of those things works. But it's just the phrasing of. The Darksaber doesn't mean anything to me or my clan, where it raises questions of, were you thinking this when you wrote Book of Boba Fett, or do you just need it to be true now, so we're going to make it true now? I mean, I don't think that they, they, they give it that much special attention in Book of Boba Fett. I mean, the armorer says, you're fighting the sword more than you're using it, or something like that, but she doesn't say, you're now the king of Mandalore. She doesn't denote that because... Like the only people who impute that level of importance on the on the sword are Moff Gideon and Bo Katan, and and Bo Katan's army, but her army comes from the I, I don't know a lot of the, the proper names and things from Rebels, but she's coming from that world where it was passed down, you know, from generation to generation, or, or you know, from conqueror to conqueror. Essentially, it was taken basically through blood, but the Armorers Guild is a descendant of the Death Watch, are they not? Yep. And did yeah. they care about the rule of the Darksaber? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Maul mm-hmm. gets it, and, like, most of them follow it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's okay. when Bo-Katan makes her turn, when uh, Maul gets the Darksaber, and most of the Mandalorians bow to Maul, and then uh, Bo-Katan takes a group that become the Night Owls that... Uh, refuse to follow him. That's when she goes from, from villain to hero. But Devor, where do you fall down on, on all of this? Do you think the, it was, there was a lot of just convenient writing happening in the season, or do you think narratively in the larger scheme of things that it, it makes sense? I mean, I do think he has to be careful what he says out loud in his house right now. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> 
check and make sure I mean, Meg has her headphones on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, she doesn't listen to the show anyway. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, I, I, I think that there, I think there were some writing conveniences taken. I mean, it sort of gets to what I was touching on a little bit before about some of these, some of the 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 storylines being sort of having a kind of rush to conclusion in the in the finale. I mean, I do think to respond to something that that Drew said because he was talking about the themes, and was talking about the sort of sim- the relative sort of simplicity of the themes, and like it, it's sort of like what you see is what you get, like what's on the surface. And I think in, in in some degrees that is true. And I think he brought up some of the examples. I think there are other ones though that they brought in. I mean, I think even you know going back prior to the season, where like you're bringing these things in and you're you're getting these ideas, and there's a little bit of like playing with thematic fire. And that there is actually a certain sort of care and nuance and and depth that you have to deal with them. So I'll give you the example of one of the ones that has been sort of on my mind most recently. And it has to do okay. a lot with sort of the, the covert and its beliefs. And then one of the big things of season three, which is like, you know, how are you going to stitch all of these Mandalorians together? And of course, you know, what we... You know, what is clear, again, to get to some of the more sort of, right, like the surface of like what you see is what's there. Clearly one of the, the messages or the morals that Mandalorian season three is trying to get at, particularly by the end, is this idea of sort of pluralism. And, you know, that you, you get that with Bo-Katan and the she walks both ways. And then this idea of, well, we're not going to have sort of singular, you know, imposing on everything. You're going to have these different groups of Mandalorians and there's going to be some heterogeneity, but they're going to kind of coexist with one another, which is all well and good as a sort of message and particularly sort of fits with some of the things that, you know, Star Wars big picture has talked about in terms of its own morals about like different groups kind of getting together. But that said, there is some tension with that and other things that have happened because keep in mind, right, if we wind the clock back in the story, we also one of, in one of these factions, you had a situation where Din returned to them, confessed to a transgression, and then the the immediate response was, "Get out! You're done. It's over." <laughs> and so, if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna get to the pluralism message, which I think again is a good end that you want to get to. There's some interrogation that you have to do of that attitude. And I think that aligns. And to give another example sort of related to that, and again, it gets to this whole like creeds and belief and things like that. So early in the season, in season three, we get an important revelation, or at least our characters also get an important revelation, which is that, or, you know, from Din's perspective, that one of the long-held truisms of the covert, which is that Mandalore is cursed, is in fact not true. He has this moment, he's down there, R5 is scanning it, and he's like, oh, it's actually breathable. The planet's not cursed. All of us have been raised from the time that we became foundlings to believe Mandalore is cursed, we can't go there, it's poisoned, we'll die. And now he's here, and it's like, wow, okay, it's not true, it's perfectly fine. It's been destroyed, but, you know, you can live on it. Sure, sure. Now, by rights, that should have been a kind of turning point moment. If only for Din, but perhaps a larger covert, because he even goes back and he tells him, like, this thing that we believed is wrong, like, we have been, Mandalore is, in fact, not cursed. That should have been this fulcrum moment to be like, okay, like, why did we believe that? Who knew and who didn't? What else were we, you know, taught that may not have been true? But the show just moves right past it. 
There is just the Mandalore isn't cursed. And then we just it's never revisit it at all. This really what was really like a huge deal that one of the central tenets of your faith is wrong. And nobody bats an eye, pretty much. They all you just move on. Well, the fact that the armor herself volunteers to join the team to go to Mandalore to scout it out doesn't pl- doesn't mean anything to you in that case. Like, is that <sighs> not her? She's willing to step up and say, "I will participate with with this group that is going to a place that I thought was cursed, but clearly it's not. So I'm going to go and be a part of this restoration <sighs> act." Like maybe sure. we didn't maybe we didn't get to sit in on like you know the uh, the the meeting of the elders or nothing where they took a vote to determine how to amend their doctrine and their their what they believed about Mandalore the planet but I think I the mean, the point is that there was this fracturing to their faith and we got to see them learn how to get along with other sex of Mandalorians, right, and other faiths, but we didn't get to see them reconcile with the glaring issues that were presented in their own faith by connecting with that other group. Yeah, we, ha- we have no sense really at the end of season three to what, it, to what extent their perspective on what it means to be Mandalorian has changed at all. Right. What? Really? Did we watch this? They still don't show? take off their helmets. Well, the... Okay, <laughs> specifically for them though, not 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 Mandalorians as a whole, because I do think, like I think we got to the end point of everything we needed to get to. You know, we got to the end point of uh, the armor kind of letting Bo-Katan take her her helmet off and realizing that her way might not be the only way. We got the to the end point of you know Bo's uh, side of Mandalorian standing there at the end as uh, Ragnar was brought into the Creed and put in the song and so was was Grogu like we got to all of those endpoints but did we hit all the steps to get to those endpoints is oh, the part I'm where are they holding the ceremony in the very waters that the armorer said were inaccessible and could not be reached because the mines were destroyed she went and saw them and now she's She's perpetuating her people. She's pushing the entirety of the community forward by joining together and say, look, this, I thought this was gone. This was not an option. But now I see that it is. And now that I see that it is, I'm going to allow other people to come together, build a stronger union together. As Bo-Katan says at the very last episode, she says, we're stronger together. After Moff Gideon says, you take away their trinkets and they're nothing. She's like, no, we are a people that are stronger together. That's where everybody ends up. Because at the beginning of the year, they weren't at that point. They were in hiding. Everybody was in their own separate corners. Bo-Katan had her entire castle with her and like a droid. And they're, they're separated. There's this diaspora across the galaxy. And it's the coming together. And, and if the, the armorer cannot bring her people along, if she's not the first one to go and say, okay, look, I clearly had things wrong. We were clearly not all on the same page of, of reality here because the planet one is is ha- habitable or habitable and two the mines exist so the mines existing is actually a way for her to get her own redemption because she's in the water too 
So she has this avenue that she can go invest in. So it's not that she has to undo every element of her tenants. It's not you take out one pin and the entire picture of her religion falls apart. She just had to have one issue corrected and she's allowed to hold on to the rest of it because the rest of it still works. There's no reason that she can't get her own personal redemption because now she has access to the minds of Mandalore herself. She saw it was possible when she said, look, Din, if you really want to do this, fine. Here's what our, our creed allows. You can get your redemption if you go do this one impossible task. And then he goes and does it. Like, that is insane. And it rocks her world. You know, we don't see a lot of it on screen, and maybe that's what is bothering the two of you more than anything else is that you want it to be a part of the conversation, which isn't a bad thing. It would be an amazing thing to have fleshed out. But you've only got, you know, between 37 and 59 minutes of an episode that you can fit these things in and stuff has to go pew, pew, boom. What you just said there is spot on for me, at least, of I I wanted more time with the armor showing that character development. Like, And and we've had two years of some very interesting and intense conversations with her, right? She's the one who taught us this is the way. And, you know, all of these things that we've been spending time with. And so for... You know, I imagine that her character goes through this similar feeling that we might be feeling of missing out on the real action. Like she sees Din go off and is able to achieve his own redemption. And she's like, well, what, wait a minute. What, what about the rest of us? Maybe we need to play a part in this too. So there's like this element of she didn't have a chance and, and needs to go and have these experiences so that she can continue to take care of people. Uh, I also think there's an element of like, what she sees in Din, like I think she sees in him what's going to lead Mandalore forward because she, you know, she tells him to do this impossible task and he does it. And then at the end of the season, when he wants to, you know, have a uh, Grogu added to the song, she's like, Nope, you can't do that. And he finds a way around it. And she's like, this is the way, but it's not like a, it's not like a, you know, Oh, I guess, you know, I guess you're right. right. No, it's she a, led you there. You found the path. So I, I do like that. I like that. You know, we got a lot more of her this year, I think in, in terms of character development, but we've spent, you know, two years of, of TV time, uh, you know, four years or however long it's been that Mandalorian has been, you know, in existence, uh, with this, with the armor as this very mysterious, you know, uh, person and with very little character development, she was about pushing the other characters forward, which was fine. Uh, that was right. A she plot was static. She was right. The core. And, and that is an example of you know something that is convenient for the plot is to have somebody like her around that can tell the characters what they need to do but it worked in the in the story and now we kind of get this character development but in very quick spurts and i would have that the way you put it is perfect i would have liked to have more time with her as she is confronting you know because she is you know presented as a cult leader, you know, like she's called that she is presented as a zealot and, you know, uh, and looked down on by the other Mandalorians. And so we are, you know, from years of, of following Mandalorian history as an audience, trusting Bo-Katan and what her side says, because they've seen the history of Mandalore. We have the, the evidence showing that they know the history of Mandalore. And so, it would have been really interesting to have more time with the armor or maybe follow, you know, a separate path. Like 
instead of the Pershing episode, you or <laughs> adding in episode nine, you you add in you know an episode with the armor in a Pershing style thing where it's like, all right, this is going to feed to the bigger picture, but we're really going to focus on a character other than the Mandalorian this week, and that would be fine. Like they've they've said through you know, Book of Boba Fett, that that's going to be the language of how we develop this, you know, Mandoverse is we're going to take steps out of the main story to tell you these side stories. So again, like for me, this is really nitpicking at something that I really did love and enjoy. And I'm really ex- like, I've watched the the finale episode and Spies both like three or four times each at this point. So it's <laughs> not that I don't like these these things, but you know. You just need e- you need you need E.K. Johnson to come and write you the Armorers trilogy next. Honestly, Jeez. yes, yes, please, right? yes. Right? Uh, character is the plot. <laughs> character is the plot. That's it. Oh, speaking of characters, Lindsay's the moment, just triggered right now. No, no, no. This is a good thing. The moment that um, the Grogu is holding the fire back from everybody, uh, yeah was such a cool moment because not just because you know he's doing that and it's cool and it looks great every time but you had <laughs> literally you know the trinity of mandalorians you had the mandalorian mm-hmm. jedi you had the mandalorian who keeps his helmet on you had the mandalorian uh you know who takes her helmet off and comes from the history of of actual mandalore you have the you know adopted mandalore you have the one that was adopted by the adopted mandalorian it's just <laughs> all in that trinity you have all of mandalore and it's like you know he talked earlier or i don't remember if it was in in the finale or in the episode before about how uh mandalore has been on on the brink of extinction for thousands of years and they've still survived and it's like yeah. that is a visual yeah. metaphor of that i just loved yeah that was good so any other kind of final thoughts on Mandalorian before we head into our our heist episode? There, there are definitely some question questionable decisions that were made. I'm not going to defend everything in it, but I, I still think it, overall it was a very, very good year. Um, I, th- I think maybe not as not as high highs as maybe season two, but I think it, it outshines season one a little bit. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so you, in, in context, like knowing everything we know, having seen every season independently of each other, I, I like season one is great and we wouldn't be here without it. But I think that season two is the, is the best. And I think season three is, is just hot on its heels and season one is hot on its heels. All right. Devor, what about you? What's your order? I think my order would be two, one, three. That's my, I mean, also. I think, yeah, I mean, I See. think I, I think season three does have some highs. Like, there are things that I really enjoy. Minds of Mandalore is a really good episode. And again, this goes back That's to the, where I started with, which is like the week to week of it, enjoying each, uh, each, each you know, episode and so on. But then the when, when I step back the totality and think about like the season as a unit of storytelling, I think as a season, it is the weakest season. Two one two one three is the prefer, my preferred ranking of the classic trilogy, but that's well, and the sequel trilogy. Yeah, but not the prequels. You sure? So, you sure you don't want to reconsider no. that? A hundred percent. There All is right. no way. 
Well, I'll give you some more time to think about it uh, as we take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to do our first ever character draft where we are putting together a team to go on a heist. I just thought of my team again. (laughs) (laughs) It's so wild. It makes me laugh every time I look at my list. Oh, man. All right. We'll be right back, everybody. It's risky. As soon as the raw coaxium is removed from the vault, it starts to destabilize, so... Unless... 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 Work with me here. Unless you could find somewhere to get it processed fast. Oh, uh... Well... (laughs) He's saying Savarine? Savarine! Yeah, it's an old refinery there, and it's not under imperial jurisdiction. But Kira's right. The canisters will explode before you get there, so... You'd need a incredibly fast ship and a brilliant pilot we'll find a ship we've already got the pilot tonight guys we are going to try something new in our first ever fantasy draft and we are specifically targeting the formation of a crew to take on a heist as in uh, solo a star wars story great movie shh don't say anything drew so the way this Dem- is going to work is uh <laughs> we're going to go around and pick characters to form our teams And once a character is picked by a person, they cannot be drafted by another person. Uh, We'll also get some brief explanations on why we want those particular characters on our crew, of course. Uh, Before we start that, though, each of us, as always, has parameters and rules that we set. So with that in mind, Drew, I know Devor and I are both looking forward very much to your explanation. So how are you formulating your team? Well, okay. The, the first thing I had to do is I needed a story because there, you know, just pulling a heist is not enough. So I have assembled a crew. and there are there, So the problem is we need to steal the Death Star 2 plans, kind of like Rogue One, but we're going to make it a little bit different. So, so it's like a sequel to Rogue One. It, it, it's like Rogue uh, 1.7. How about that? I like it. It's not Rogue One. And it was a little bit tough because there is the whole box. Or Empire Strikes that. Back 1.5. There you go. That's probably a better way to do it. Episode 5.5. So I kind of threw out the entire Bothan storyline, all of Shadows of the Empire. I don't think we have anything else in canon um, that explains the Bothan's uh, theft ring of the plans, so we're just going to pretend it never happened. Uh, And so there have to be seven roles that pull off this heist. And so this is going to be the order in which I pick them is the first guy I pick is going to have to be the mastermind. He's going to be the planner. He's going to be the person who kind of maneuvers all the pieces of the puzzle. The second person is the driver who has to get the team into the location. Okay, so this is going to be who um, can get past the lines of the enemy and deliver the whole team. Now, so baby the team driver, there, but in space. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. The... the then it is you know not necessarily a driver person but the person who can get where they need to go you know what i mean well it'll be more clear when we get there the third role is the subterfuge this is the person who's going to actually weasel their way into the imperial network and then they're going to connect with the role number four the man on the inside this is the, the, the turncoat that we have gotten to smuggle out the plans. They've downloaded it, put it on the data tape, got it in their jacket pocket, and they're going to meet in the back alleyway and try not to get shot on the way out. 
once the plans are in hand, then you need the getaway driver. That's rule number five. But then my personal favorite one <laughs> is rule number six, the distraction. A, and this is the note I have. A major catastrophe so that the getaway is smoothed out. That one's going to be fun for me. But then the last rule is the technical confirmation. You've got to have somebody who can take the plans, look at them, and say, aha, this is exactly what we need. Or perhaps it's a plant, and the Empire knows we're on the way, and you just led them back to the rebel base. It's a good story. Yeah. I mean, you did just give us your playbook, so we could just spend the rest of the episode just picking people we think you have in those rules. <laughs> but... <laughs> I guarantee you, you will get some of them. You will not, in fact, get all of them. I, I will give you an internet dollar if you can get all of them. DeVore, what about you for rules and things? How did you pick people? So I kind of had, I guess, sort of two soft criteria that I was using when I was making my list. First, when putting together, like when selecting the specific characters, I wanted to get a kind of broad representative swath across Star Wars. So I didn't want to bunch in too much in terms of either like time period or show or movie or anything like that. So mm-hmm. if I picked someone Good. like from one particular show, then I'm like, oh, I'm not picking anybody else from that show. Oh, so, wow, there, that's so that was tough. one of them is I, I wanted to have a kind of, yeah, a diversity of representation kind of across Star Wars. And then the second criteria is you pretty much sort of along the lines of what you were saying, Drew, which is I was thinking about specific roles. So you know, when we were talking about this, you know, when proposing what this episode was going to be about for our topic, you know, I brought up the example of Ocean's Eleven. And so I th- mm-hmm. thought about like in that movie, there are characters who fit very specific Slots, in some ways, some of them similar to the ones that you mentioned, Drew. And so I thought about, like, what character do I want to fit that particular role in your kind of classic heist film trope? Yeah, mine, I really focused on the team dynamic of it. And I realized as I was going through it, I want my heist to be moral. Like, so I want them to be doing something for the good, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, which I mean, I would say like <laughs> morality was not close to my list of things. <laughs> Drew was all about efficiency here. Yeah, dude, dude, I have good guys and bad guys working together. It makes no sense at all. Hey, you know what? You got to do what you got to do to get those Death Star plans. Uh, that was something more that kind of evolved though as I was formulating the team because I really was like, I have a certain reason I started with my first uh, first round pick. And I kind of built from there. Okay, who's going to complement that? Who's going to complement that? Who is going to add an element that nobody else could add, but also mesh with the other people? So I was looking at skill set, uh, history of success in similar endeavors or endeavors with transferable skills. And of course, like I said, how they would work together uh, oh as gosh. a team. So. I want my you took you took like resumes of people and put I did I did and I wanted I want my people to be able to go on multiple heists and I think maybe this is reading uh, uh, battle scars right now you've got the the crew Mm. of the mantis doing multiple uh, you know things against the empire if this team works I want them to be able to go on on future missions uh, (laughs) and future endeavors (laughs) so. My team will not. <laughs> <laughs> Your team is one and done. He's got Suicide Squad over there. A hundred and ten percent. Oh man. Okay. 
Most of my characters are dead already. <laughs> <laughs> Just dragging the body around. Uh, we a put a poll out on our Facebook page to decide on who would uh, get to go first. And I did that because uh, I, I wanted to make sure that there was no bias when I said, <laughs> I get to go first. Because <laughs> I got the most votes. It's on Facebook. You can go how look many, at it. How many Facebook profiles did you create in order to vote for yourself, though? <laughs> Four. <laughs> well, that's enough. Dig it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's all it took. Um, there's fine. What job are you putting Ahsoka on? See, and this is what I'm really excited about because my first round pick is R2D2. Smart. Okay. Because all right, any successful thing in star Wars, any, any, anything in star Wars, you almost always have to have a droid and there is no droid more versatile and proven than R2-D2. He has a win-loss record that is next <laughs> to, like, nobody. Like, I, I, even his losses turn into wins somehow. Um, like the Force is clearly protecting and guiding him. He somehow is always around the most important events in history. So if we're going on some kind of mission that's going to matter in galactic history, he's going to be able to figure it out. Uh, he's worked across generations, across uh, with different species, with different cultures, uh, and his memory has never been erased. So he's got plenty of of history there of things uh, that he can build off of and help provide for uh, the rest of the team. And he's R two freaking D two. So <laughs> nice, good pick. Devor was R two on your list at all? He is not. No. Okay, then then Brandon gets a clean pick. Nice job, Drew. Is, he was not on yours either. No, not a not a pick of mine anywhere okay. at all. Oh, interesting, interesting. Okay, well, since it was a tie between the two of you for second place, uh, and Drew tried to throw me under the bus and sabotage me, Devor, you get to go second. Thank you, thank you. Bring it so. On. Uh, I'm actually going to sort of pick up where Brandon left off, which is that I do think that for any good Star Wars high school, you do have to have a droid. I totally agree with you there. You know, you got to get someone who's going to be able to, you know, open up the doors, get in the little terminals, all that stuff, get into computers, you know, and things like that. But, you know, you also need someone on the high school who's not afraid to rack up a kill count, you know, if things go south. <laughs> oh, my and, you know, you got to get out I of know there. where this is going. <laughs> So, my number one draft pick for my heist team is Mr. Bones. What? He zigs yep. when I think he's going to zag. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I thought you were going to go with Chopper for a minute there. I, I, I set up that way to make you think so, and then I uh, pulled the... Ha! You're Mr. so Bones. clever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mr. Bones. Okay. I mean, that I thing won't die, on my so... Team. Yeah, that's true. You have to have a B1 somewhere. Yes. And don't they have, like, seven fake deaths for him in the Aftermath series? Hard to say. Yeah. I refuse to read it. (laughs) 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 All right, Drew. Are you going to start with a droid, or are you going something else? This is probably the furthest from a droid you could possibly get. But, again, roll number... Again, two things. Rolls, one roll at a time, two... The, we are unbound by 
silly constructs such as time and canonicity. So some characters you'll be like, that's not a real person, is it? You just made that up. Like, nope, they exist on Wikipedia. It counts. This is definitely my mastermind. The planner of it all is definitely a real character we're very familiar with, but he didn't get his first name until he appeared in the book uh, Tarkin. And so the mastermind of my plan is I'm drafting Sheev Palpatine because you can't get a better master manipulator than the master of all evil. I'm sure he could spin a web that makes perfect sense for him to steal his own Death Star 2 plans. I don't need to figure out what that is. All I need to know is Palpatine's got it under control. Maybe he just created the Death Star 2 just to steal the plans. Just to have the plans. Just to have mm-hmm. nothing to do that Saturday. So you guys go out there and have your droids do things. I will be raising entire Sith Eternal fleets out of planets and things like that. It's not a bad pick. No, not at <laughs> all. I respect it. I honestly didn't think about like the mastermind. I was kind of thinking... like. The mastermind was, was somebody else, and I was re- the team replaying is being all of Ocean. Like I re- tried to replay Ocean's Eleven in my brain since I couldn't find it streaming easily, easily anywhere. So I was trying to think of like, okay, George Clooney. I remember Clooney being the one who like handpicks all the guys to do this thing with him. It's like, who's that guy going to be? Like, oh, there is but one name that rises to the top of the pile. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good, good criteria. All right, so I guess that means it is back to me for number two. And mm-hmm. number two, I am going a little bit more predictable, and I am taking Ahsoka. Um, <laughs> yes. no, we, no, we yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, but actually, I am not picking her because she's my favorite, but because of her history in the Clone Wars. She, again, has a history of being able to work with diverse groups of people across a variety of si- situations. But for me in particular, um, being able to care deeply about the team that she works with, and that's going to naturally put her in a leadership role. Um, I think we've seen that she is willing to forego the, the glory and the pomp and circumstance in order to get the job done. And that's the kind of leader I would want in a situation where there's a lot of unpredictable factors. Um, she has the ability to improvise like Anakin without the unpredictability of it. And of course, I feel like you just have to have a force user and a lightsaber. If you're going to go on a heist in star Wars, uh, it just, (laughs) I mean, we saw solo, they didn't have one. It was rough. So I feel like that helps there. That's, that's a good point. Not a bad idea. I didn't even bother trying to find a spot for a second. I knew you were going to snatch that one. (laughs) Devor, it's to you now. Your second pick. All right, second pick. You're doing a heist. You know, you're trying to break in somewhere. And sometimes in a lot of situations, as we've even seen in Star Wars, what you need is you need to be able to get through small spaces, right? You got to get a vent or something like that. Like you got to be able to crawl through. Uh, Because sometimes you can't do hallways and things like that. And also, you know, it'd be good to have someone who's, you know, handy, you know, who's who's techie, who's able to, you know, be good with tools and such. So that's why my number two pick is Babu Freck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Of course, of course. See, again, I thought you were going to go with, like, Anakin Skywalker's Circa Phantom Menace. <laughs> I thought we were going Grogu for a minute there. Oh, we see yeah, him that's true. He does plug con- in a thing. But, but no, no Babu Freck is... Babu Freck 
Mr. Bones and Babu Frick, my first two exactly, draft picks. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> he just went with, wrong. who are they never going to pick? <laughs> <laughs> Let's start there. Yeah, this is going to be the little island of misfit toys, I can tell. It'll be good. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. All right, Drew. No, not on my list anywhere. Okay, um, so role number two is the, the somebody who can stealthily get a team on site, somebody who can get past the lines, get past the stormtroopers, and into a spot where they simply should not be. And really, there's really, there's only one person for the job, and it's a person who can get anywhere he needs to be with just a wink, a smile, and a well-placed cape twirl. And it is Lando Calrissian is going to be the person who gets our team across the enemy lines. And I have lost one of my team members. Yes. Yes. I love the idea of Lando and Palpatine working together. It gets worse at round three. Just putting that out there. Well, like, Lando is, like, all show, and Palpatine, like, is always putting on a show for everybody else. Like, there you go. I, it, there is a flair for dramatic in all of my picks. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you really did. You went for the grand entrances. This is a heist. It's supposed to be stealth, and you chose. But sometimes it's the it's the the, the flashy who walks through the front door, who gets all the attention, who you know, because you're so absorbed with them, they can get by doing anything that they want. But see, wasn't that your distraction, which is like person number oh, six? Oh, we're something? gonna get there. We're gonna get. So there. I'm intrigued to see who the distraction is gonna be if Lando is not that person. <laughs> uh. But for I'm particularly proud of my distractions. For uh, my number three, I was wanting somebody crafty, uh, somebody with lots of weapons, somebody who can get into tough situations and survive them. Because again, this is going to be a very unpredictable situation. But I didn't want another Jedi. I didn't want somebody to, that had the same skills and abilities. I wanted somebody who was more brute force. And uh, that is going to be Mr. Din Djarin, oh, the Mandalorian. Nice. nice. I was particularly thinking of the prison episode <laughs> in season one where he just starts walking right into blaster fire to throw the, uh, I guess, thermal detonator charge um, at the droids when nobody else on the team uh, can do that. So I think he comes up with creative ways to utilize the weapons that uh, most people wouldn't think of. And of course, a Mandalorian and a Jedi, they're never going to see it coming. Well, and you also picked the one guy who, who doesn't like Jedi and doesn't like droids, and you put him on a team that starts with a Jedi <laughs> and a droid. So he's going to be super comfortable. No, he he gets Arnold. He, he, he no, Yeah, sure, he does. <laughs> he calls her the nice lady. Exactly. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's great. All uh, right. I don't think I have. I don't think I have Din on my list anywhere, so we're safe there. All right, uh, Devore. Tell us why your third pick is Kitster. <laughs> it is not. But oh. my third pick is actually filling a slot not dissimilar from yours, Brandon. Which is that for a good heist, you do need somebody with you know, expertise in weapons who can handle themselves and who can also crucially, again, if things go south, if the situation calls for it, make things go boom. And so that is why my number three draft pick is Sabine Wren. Oh, man. Okay. That's a good pick. That's a good one. 
Again, I thought you were going to go General uh, Grievous with that one, but okay. <sighs> See, like, you, just, you mean, you, he's you just a good pick, all but... expectations. I am so yeah. proud of you. Thank you, thank you. All right, Your turn. The, the final one. So, role number three is all about subterfuge. This is the person who you leave on the street corner who's going to make contact with your spy, right? So, this is somebody who needs to be in place and not look out of place. Somebody who needs to be absolutely stone cold and needs to just kind of hang out and chill and wait until the opportune time when everything else falls into place. And if you think about the characters in Star Wars, there is a certain individual who stands out as the most stone cold person in all of on, in every book that he appears in, and it's Geode. He is definitely the most. <laughs> he gets everywhere. No one sees him move. No one hears him speak, and he just sits there and patiently waits as long as it takes. That that is a really good pick. <laughs> I love a Palpatine, Lando, and Geode. So for my fourth pick, uh, I was thinking of somebody who is going to be our tech guy, and since you're going to have to have a tech guy, compliments the droid, compliments the Jedi and the Mandalorian and that craftiness, but gives them an aspect that uh, they don't have. I figured who better than tech. So I'm taking Tech mm-hmm. with my number four pick. Uh, I think the name says it all. I think he and R2 would work really well together. R2 is able to do a myriad of things, but droids, of course, are still somewhat limited by their programming. Uh, and Tech is able to think more creatively. All right, DeVore. Nice. All right, my number four pick. So my number four pick is motivated by the same kind of type of person that Drew mentioned already, which is the the figure of the inside person. You know, someone who could get in, who can distract, you know, who can blend into a particular situation while perhaps the heist is happening on in the background. And Drew picked a really good person in Star Wars for that, which is the one Lando Calrissian. So mm-hmm. what is the next best person or possibly even the better person? How about a shapeshifter? So my number four pick is Zam Wazell. Dang, that's a good one. I'm a little jealous of that. Never even crossed my mind. No. Rats, that is a good one. Rats, Tyro. (laughs) He would not be a good one. No. You'd have to scrape him off the rocks attached. He can't be your getaway driver. He's like the last pick for your getaway driver. He's also – he's got that spot filled Dude, with Ben Quadraneros. Ben, ben Quadraneros is the last pick for your driver. <laughs> oh, man. That's good stuff. I'd rather have Qui-Gon and drive the EOP than have Ben Quadraneros. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, man. No, Zam is a really good pick. Uh, that is good. Yeah. All right. Drew, who you got at your number four? Okay, so we need a we need a man on the inside. We need somebody who's already a bad guy, which this helped narrow it down because now we could be a little bit more specific, and somebody who's already unhappy with the way things are going. Um, so I'm gonna go with Admiral Ozel from The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> what? Um, see, here's the thing. 
it is not impossible that Admiral Ozzel was already a rebel sympathizer. He came oh, out we're of, going like, with this again? Close. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to let this die. Unlike Admiral Ozzel himself. <laughs> he comes out too, out of hyperspace, too close to the system, alerting the rebels to their presence, giving them a chance to actually set up their escape route. So the man already has one foot out the Imperial door. And, you know, we, he is pretty close in timing to, like, when Wedge and his gang of friends went through the Imperial Training Academy, so there's not unreasonable that there's some connection there. So he's got some names, and he knows Hoth is where the base is at. He's trying to discount the idea of probe droids, especially this one. It could be smugglers. It could be any number of things. He's trying to keep the Empire away from Hoth, so I think if we're going to find somebody already in the Empire who's looking out for the Rebellion, Ozzel's going to be where I go. So he's going to be the one who sneaks in and gets the plans, puts them on a data tape, and is going to meet Geode on the street corner <laughs> to make sure the plans get into the right hands. The ones that he doesn't have, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's got pockets, surely. You've never seen a rock or a jacket before? <laughs> The thing I hate about the Admiral Ozzel situation is that you make such a damn good argument about it. <laughs> yes. There are, there are a number of Imperial officers who would absolutely qualify for this role, and it's a little sad. It's, it's a little sad commentary yeah. on the Imperial Army. Like Moff Jurgerod, who runs Death Star 2, would actually was a really good one I was leaning towards because he's right there. Everybody hates him. Um, Vader thinks he's an idiot. He's already super nervous, but Ozzel is definitely, I think, got to be the number one. For yeah, Ozzel is more stone cold. Like, see, Jer Gerard is. Jer <laughs> <laughs> Gerard is is more nervous, and and I, I feel like he would be somebody you can't trust to follow through. But see, that's kind of what like led me to him originally, because thinking about when Cassian meets the informant on the rings of Kefreen or whatever it's called at the very beginning of rogue one, that dude is so panicked and so scared already of based on what he's doing that he doesn't think he can go through with it. And that's kind of the same energy I get from Moff Jordrod. That's fair. All right. Round five. We haven't had a lot of overlapping picks yet. I'm kind of impressed with all of us. Yeah. Well, this one might be be on somebody's list. I'm not sure. I, I I have an idea of where it might fit on Drew's list, but my fifth pick is my muscle and my pilot, and it's Chewbacca. Oh, okay. Nice. I got. You are safe with that one. Okay. Okay. That is a good one. Well, I mean, end of Last Jedi shows what a great pilot he is. Um, he, yeah. I was thinking about, you know, yep. may, maybe a Han, maybe, uh, you know, somebody like that, but Chewie fills those two roles, you know, um, you, you, again, you just, you need some muscle. You never know when you're going to need to, you know, rip somebody's arms off. So Chewie is the man for me. Yep. That's a good one. I almost had Chewbacca in with Ray. Um, flying the Falcon specifically for the mm. getaway driver, but we're not going to get there this time. Okay. We have something better coming. Oh, do we? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound like you're enjoying yourself as much as you hoped you did. Oh, no, I'm having a great time. I'm just okay, counting <laughs> how many picks until you choose a certain hero over the rebellion. <laughs> Devor with your don't, fifth round don't pick. Don't get ahead of me. <laughs> My fifth round pick... 
So, you know, I talked at the beginning about how Star Wars heist crew, you got to have a droid. I think also for Star Wars heist mm-hmm. crew, you got to have a force sensitive. You got to have somebody who can who, who can wield that power, open doors, push people, whatever it may be, stop things from falling. I think is a very essential ability to have in any kind of heist. So then I was kind of surveying assorted force users and I was like, who might I want in a particularly situation that would be especially, you know, who might have the skills and the experience in that particular context. So my number five pick is that scrappy scrapper, Cal Kestis. Oh, wow. Call. Okay. Okay. Nice. I was thinking about this yesterday as I was reading Battle Scars. I was like, man, one of us could have just put, like, the whole Mantis crew as our pick. Like, just first round pick, I take the Mantis crew. Thank you. Good night. So far, nobody has picked anyone from the actual canon Star Wars heist crew, (laughs) a.k.a. Rogue One. Well, I mean, they did all end up dead, so... And yeah. They don't have a great track record there. Although, in fact, they were one and done, so... They are undefeated. Chewbacca, I would say Chewbacca counts because of that, the mess on the snowy planet with the trains and the... Yeah. Uh, mm, yeah. I remember nothing else about what happened. <laughs> Dude, you need to watch that movie again. It's No, so I'm, good. I'm good. I'm good. It's fine. I've seen it twice, and I think I'm done. Anyway, let's move on to happier, uh, happier trails. So, role number five, again, for this one is the getaway. This is someone who can make a burnout. Someone who is just absolutely going to get you out of danger. Going to take these data tapes and get them back to where they need to be. And there is only one man you can turn to and his entire rogue squadron of boys. It is Wedge Antilles, <laughs> hero he is. of the Rebellion, there he along is. with his best friends, Derek Hobby Clivian, Wes Jansen, and Tycho Kelchu. It is the Faithful Four. They are the best. Um, I was looking at my X-Wing books on my, my shelf going, yep, all of them. All of them are for this guy. This is one rule. The, the whole squad's coming this time. So it's Wedge leading rogue squadron in its heyday absolutely have to have these guys be the ones because you need to have like multiple ships so you can kind of do like that you know when the president rides marine one there's actually three helicopters that fly so nobody can actually shoot one of them down they might like pick the wrong helicopter same kind of thing you don't know where the data tapes are it could be in any one of these four different x-wings so you got to figure out how to deal with all four of them and then just these are the guys they're just going to get them out of there it's still dangerous. We still need a major distraction, but that's going to come up in a few minutes. Only so many people have survived both Death Stars. And since time yeah. doesn't count in this one, even exactly. though he's stealing the Death Star plans, he has also <laughs> at the same time already escaped that Death Star. He is the only person to survive all three major battles from the, the, the classic trilogy films. He's the only one who's in all three and survives them all. Uh, wouldn't... Luke or Han fit in that category? Not flying well? ships. Nope. Oh, okay. Okay. We're specifically talking about flying ships. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, nobody, when people talk about the Battle of Endor, they don't talk about the blowing up of the shield bunker. They're talking about the destruction of the Death Star. I consider all three aspects of it the Battle yeah, of Yeah, but that's not as fun when you're celebrating the hero of the rebellion. So No, I know. I, I completely understand changing the situation to your narrative. How about this? He's the... I follow <laughs> We politics. call them alternative facts, okay? Alternative <laughs> He's the only pilot with two Death Stars painted on the side of his canopy. How about that? That That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, that is. All right, guys. That gets us to our sixth six. pick. 
And uh, I'm going to kind of go in a similar direction as Devor with his fifth pick. I am going with a member of the Mantis crew. I'm going with the Night Sister Marin. Because solid, solid. You just Night Sister magic is is never a bad thing to have on your side. <laughs> um, but okay. uh. in considering, well, here's the thing. Talzin doesn't make sense because you can't trust her. Asage is possible, but a lot riskier. I think what makes Marin special is you don't have to worry about her loyalty as much. Once she's set and she is in with the team, she's pretty in with the team. So I feel like with the people that we have around her, people like Ahsoka and Tech and Chewie and, and Mando, people who are very accepting of a variety of different people, uh, Marin would feel at home and fit right in. Uh, pretty quickly and she would be kind of the uh the six tool player who you know she can use her magic she can you know deceive people uh all kinds of things that she could do that Mm. none of the other people on the team could provide so she is not necessarily there to fill a role but she's there more to plug holes um that might pop up for other people hmm you scoffed at my picking of Emperor Palpatine for a bad guy on my team. Marin is not technically a bad guy. Okay. She's more... I, have, I never finished the story, so I don't know. I don't even know who that is, really. It's it's good. You sh- you really should finish watching it through on... And Battle Scars, yeah, I'll play very through. enjoyable so far. Okay. All right, Devore, with your sixth pick, who are you taking? All right, number six pick. Again, for any high screw, you know, Drew has already said in his picks is you, you need the getaway driver. You, you need someone who can get you get you in, get you out quickly, efficiently, and maybe with a little bit of style. So that is why oh my number six pick is Poe Dameron. Oh, nice. He can fly anything. It's statistical yep. fact. That's is that how we're doing statistics like now? If you say it, it's true. Yeah, especially in Star Wars. Oh, okay. It was I who allowed the rebellion to fall in. Yeah, come on, man. You're going to take every word Palpatine says is gospel, then why not Poe Dameron? No, no, it's it's that is a fair Yes, I definitely foresaw all of this. Absolutely. It was definitely on the lesson plans. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's good. All right, Drew. Is six is your distraction or your getaway driver? Oh, no, you got distraction. distraction. Wedge was the getaway this is driver. When, some, when everybody goes, what is that over there? And and when you think back to the, the timeline of, of Star Wars, first off, we have to go into Legends to get to the absolute bonkers things that happen now, right? And there's a lot you can pick from. I'll give you that. But probably the most single defining moment of the galaxy is when something popped out of the unknown regions and absolutely upset the entire galaxy at large. That's right. When Supreme Overlord Shimra launched his invasion of the known galaxy and brought the entire Yuzen Vong army with him and set his sights on Coruscant and didn't stop until he had captured the entire planet, it made things happen that no one thought happened. The in the remnant of the Empire joined forces with the New Republic um, and all kinds of wackiness doth ensue. No one knew what this was 
knew who these guys were, except for maybe Palpatine. There's some evidence in outbound flight that he knew what was going on out there, but it's questionable. Anyway, Shimra was the guy who was in charge of the entire Yuzen Vong society, and he pop, piled everybody into their world ships, flew through the hyperspace and saw into into what we now you know into our known galaxy, and just wiped the floor and just absolutely dominated as they went straight through. So while we have the tapes and we have them in the X-wings and we're going left, out of the, on the right hand side of our vision is the entire Yuzen Vong army bearing down upon us, ready to destroy all that we know and love. I love how, like, Drew's over here just forming a small army. Like, he's yeah. just small. <laughs> I'm thinking all of Rogue Squadron. Yeah. And I would Listen. like the Sith Empire in the Yuzong Vong. Thank you. Listen, dream bigger, okay? This, this Brandon, this sounds like our What If episode. <laughs> it really does. It does, it does. Devor's over here picking a single B1 droid when he could have had all of them. I don't understand. I know. All really? you had to pick was Rune Hako, and you would have had the entire army <laughs> behind you, my friend. <laughs> All right, you have but one pick left. So you got to you got put a bow on it. I am. I'm feeling the pressure of the draft. I'm calling an audible on this one. Uh, Drew, that's a, a football term where you listen. Your I didn't say a word about Lord of the Rings references when we talked about this. Okay. <laughs> And it doesn't uh, matter how much, how many times I had to Google what is a fantasy draft. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and originally I was going with Hera for this pick. Okay. Mm. But I am going to switch it up and I'm going to go with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, I had him on my list for a different role. Yeah. So I think Obi-Wan won he has been in tough situations before. He's cool under pressure. Uh, he is the negotiator, so he could probably get us out of some political situations. Yeah. And he just has a knack for surviving and making sure that people around him survive, except for Qui-Gon. Um, <laughs> wow. And Satine. And Satine. Oh, and Anakin. And Anakin. And Anakin. Well, so really, does so he, he have a he, good... He has a knack for surviving. Somehow he never ends up dead. <laughs> so if somebody's going to live on and carry on the team, it's going to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, again, just really versatile. Could be our pilot in an emergency situation, which is kind of what I had Hera for, was being a, a backup pilot and leader uh, after Chewie. But I feel like Obi-Wan can fulfill those roles while also bringing the Force uh, his experience with R2 and Ahsoka, his experience with working with Mandalorians, uh, I think it would all, with clones and tech, um, his history with the Night Sisters would give him and Marin a platform to connect on. Uh, it might be rocky at first, but I think that they would, would learn to get along well. So Obi-Wan Kenobi is going to round out the team that is going on my heist. Hmm. Do the Night Sisters technically use the dark side of the Force? Has that been a thing we've established? <sighs> or do we just chalk it up to some kind of witchcraft we're not familiar with? Uh, in my understanding, it is a an aspect of the dark side of the Force. So I don't think okay. they use the dark side of the Force in its entirety like Palpatine, but that they are able to access like this one pocket of it where dark side magic exists. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never really been clear like on that. the rules. 
Uh, I mean, as with all rules in Star Wars, they are fast and loose. <laughs> yes. No kidding. All right, Devor. One who are you taking right. last? Got to pick a good one. The, num- the number seven pick, last but not least. You know, Drew was right. You got to have the mastermind. You got to have someone who's got all these people and is you know corralling them together, telling them what the plan is, saying saying who's doing what, pointing people in the right direction, who's going to do what, when, order of operations. You need that person. <laughs> And you not only need that person, you need the person that once you're actually in the heist and everything's going down and maybe things go off a plan, someone who can rethink, someone who can keep a cool head, not going to start getting nervous when things get stressful. And that is why my number seven pick is Grand Admiral Thrawn. Ooh. See, and I thought you were going with Beckett. (laughs) Beckett. I thought he was going to go with Newt Gunray, but what do I know? A cool head, a new gun ray? <laughs> well, you had me. He's ordered to throw like, away the blockade was, plans as soon as two Jedi show up. I was, I was, like, I was trying to think, like, who's the, who's the pilot we talked about last time? Is it Tay Howe? Is that the character? Yeah, Tay Howe. Yes. Probably a better pick. Oh, uh, no, Shoot Thrawn is, something. Thrawn is great. That's a good pick. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about Thrawn, too, as, as a major distraction, as somebody who just popped in with all of his ships, but, nah, that's a good one, though. That's a good one. All right, last and certainly not least, I gotta have somebody again for the technical confirmation who can look at the plans, know that they are accurate, and help form a pl- uh, some kind of a plan or path onto the destruction of this monster machine. And what better source than to go to one of the minds who's behind its construction, right? Now you might think to yourself, "Nah, Galen Erso, no, 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 he built the first one." No, true, he did. But there's another character that existed long before Galen Erso who's responsible for building not one, not two, but six super weapons for the empire and he has the most ridiculous life that anyone could ever imagine his name is bevel lemelisk and if you've never heard that name you've never read the book dark saber and i'm telling you now don't because poor poor bevel lemelisk is the is the guy who would come up with these science plans for a super weapon or world destroyer something and then like he built the first Death Star originally. He was kind of the original character who came up with the Death Star plans. Upon the destruction of the Death Star, Emperor Palpatine kills him and then brings him back to life in a clone body and wants him to continue his work of building super weapons. He would go on to do this another five times <laughs> where Palpatine would kill him and bring him back to the point of ridiculousness where he's finally captured by the New Republic and he is executed for his crimes of genocide and his final words were, at least get it right this time. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good one. No, I it really is. he he lives rent free in my mind as one of the most ridiculous characters in all of the legends novels. But I tell you what, he's the perfect guy for the job. I feel like I was a better Star Wars fan not knowing he existed. I feel like <laughs> no <kind> man lessened. <laughs> okay, guys, so that puts our teams as I have R two D two, Ahsoka, Mando, Tech, Chewie, Marin, and Obi Wan Kenobi. Devore has Mr. Bones, Babu Frick. I can't even make it through this list. Sabine, Zam Wessel, Cal Kestis, Poe Dameron, and Thrawn. It just, it really looks like, like the team that got picked eclectic. last in PE. <laughs> Bunch of nerds. <laughs> and Drew has Palpatine. 
Lando started real strong. I was like, oh, it's not going to be that bad. Geode, Admiral Ozzel, Wedge, and the entirety of Rogue Squadron. Um, Shimra and all of the Yuzong Vong. Mm-hmm. And Bevel Lemelisk. So mm-hmm. I think there's a pretty clear winner. And you're welcome. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think what we're going to do, guys, we're going to put this out on our social media, in our Facebook group, and on Twitter, and have you guys vote on who you think the best team is to pull off a heist job, and then we can uh, talk about it on our next episode in a couple weeks. It should be a lot of fun there. Uh, if you like this episode, let us know, because I think it would be a lot of fun to continue uh, doing these. But before we wrap up, I want to do one last thing, and that is have us pick someone else's team so i just went through the list of teams and drew if you had to pick a team between divorce team and mine to let's say complete your same mission a death star two plans who are you taking i think i'm gonna go with divorce team because thrawn (laughs) because i can't pick brandon it just wouldn't (laughs) fit the brand i mean like you got a lot of nice people and like heroes and marquee characters your team would be best placed on a poster at the front hall of celebration you know what i mean (laughs) that's fair no one's gonna put mr bones on a poster (laughs) ever the world is worse off for it truly these are the dark times we live in when there is no courage there is no decency we're we're all the artists we know and no one has put mr bones these are the days of our lives that's what that felt like (laughs) a little bit a little bit like that oh man i'm gonna go with that i'm gonna go i mean that's hard it's hard to beat that man i'm gonna go with those guys over there sorry brandon it's really your team has a lot of great personality how about that (laughs) thanks I'm just glad to be nominated. Um, <laughs> Devor, who are you taking? Are you going to take my team or Drew's team? <sighs> Come on. I mean, like... I have armies. It, it's, <laughs> exactly. It's like, it seems like in terms of just cohesion, like brands and like that is the team that can work together. But then yours, Drew, is just so bananas that I'm... <laughs> I, I can't help but be drawn to the chaos of it. I didn't have to do Drews. It's where all the it's, cool it's kids too, hang out. It's too wild. It's too wild. I can't say no. See, and I think it's too wild and it causes it to be implosive. You've got Rogue Squadron and Yuzong Vong and Palpatine. I just, I don't see them ever really actually working together for very long. Oh, God, no. No. So. Oh, it won't go well. No, no. It's, <laughs> we're talking about successful relations, were we? It, it definitely is a one and done, but I think in terms of versatility and skill sets, I'm going to have to go with Devore on that. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's a good, good team. So again, guys, we're going to put this out on our social media and you let us know what you think uh, is the best team to go on a heist and let us know if you want us to do more episodes like this. Uh, In the meantime, make sure you are subscribed to the channel because we've got all of our shows. We've got this. We've got Don't Burn the Sacred Text, Forever Star Wars, uh, Sith Talk, and of course, our newest show, Larger View of the Force with Devor. And I know, Devor, you're working on some great stuff. So tell people Mm -hmm. what you are working on and where they can find you. 
Yeah, sure. So yeah, you can follow a larger view of the force on Twitter at a larger view pod. Um, you can also listen to the show both here in the clashing sabers feed and then on its own feed. I have also recently at the time of this recording launched a new podcast with my wife, Meg Dowell, that is called space Swifties, a star Wars and Taylor Swift podcast. So nice. check that one out too. So, Awesome. And we will have all of those links for you in our show notes. And Drew, if people want to come hang out with you and ask you weird questions about legends, characters that won't die, where can they do that? <laughs> uh, best place to find me is on the Twitter at the Drew Brett. I'll be also in the Facebook group. Uh, um, what's the name of the group, Brandon, that we're all in? Star Wars Clashing Sabers is the name of the group that there you, uh, go. you can go to. You can vote uh, for our teams here. And uh, you can also do that at Twitter. We are at Clashing Sabers and on Instagram as well. So stay tuned for so much more. Uh, one final note before we get out of here, though, is teachers. We've got a lot of books and we need more teachers to send them to. So if you have a teacher that you know, um, if you can Google teachers near me uh literally anybody uh we can get to get books into the hands of kids uh we want to be able to do that so just let us know uh you can go to our website clashingsavers.net and nominate a teacher there that's going to wrap up all of our our notes and everything uh so i guess really we really should just admit that we all have really bad teams in comparison to the greatest (laughs) team in the galaxy like, let's just admit it, it's all about Batch 8. Hi-ho. Hi-ho. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?